today on Hack News Day. So it is the newest, latest, greatest technology, and whether that's virtual reality or anything to do with automation and robotics, you name it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, you are in Des Moines, Iowa, and you are getting a bit of a snowstorm today. Why don't you fill us in with what the weather is doing here in the heartland? Yes, I'm going to call it Snowmageddon here in Des Moines uh, because this is really the first major snowfall we've had, snow system we've had uh, since, I guess, the beginning of this winter. So I would estimate right now there's probably an inch and a half, two inches of snow. We've got a little bit of ice along with that, but I believe there is a big snow system that's going to continue working its way eastward towards you, Mike, here for the better half of today into... I guess, midnight hours tonight, so. Yes, I just pulled up my weather app, and this system is stretching snow, South Dakota, down to, really, the, the southern tip of Missouri, um, and it's stretching from Topeka, Kansas, and let's see, folks, of course, I'm in Chicago, and... Oh, the first flurries should be arriving here in Chicago right about now. We're cutting about 1.15 this afternoon. This is a, yeah, like you say, it, people are really hyped up about it. I think in Chicago we're supposed to get two to four inches. It's nothing huge, but it's enough. Folks haven't driven in snow for a year. Uh, be careful, folks, when you're going home tonight. Uh, be careful when you're out and about tomorrow. Remember, there's a lot of people who are going to be relearning how to drive mm-hmm. in winter weather and, uh, yeah, be, be patient. You know, yeah. I think that's the overriding concern when you get these weird kind of days because people just get stupid, lady. I know. I agree, especially in big cities. I feel like I feel like people out in the country, we know how to drive in snow a lot more because we're driving on gravel. We're used to maybe subpar conditions, but people in the city, they just drive so much differently. Yeah. Yep, that is true. And I tell you what, Delaney, we've got uh, agriculture news still happening, despite the impending snowmageddon mm-hmm. or snowpocalypse, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> that we do. What are the news events you're watching today? Well, going on this week or earlier this week, there was a big convention, an ethanol convention or conference, if you will, put on in Altoona, Iowa, the Iowa Renewable Fuels Summit, and Deputy Secretary of agriculture, Steve Sensky was there speaking to biofuel stakeholders in both the biodiesel and ethanol side of things. And the USDA has apparently released a new program called the Higher Blends Infrastructure Incentive Program. Now, the goal of this program is really to increase the sales of E15 gasoline as well as B20 biodiesel and Not really sure how exactly they're going to do that, but they are looking at improving infrastructure to incentivize retailers to do, you know, things to their vehicles to make those vehicles be able to use ethanol, biodiesel, and higher blends of renewable fuels and to hopefully start there to increase market demand. Interesting. So when they talk about retailers in this context, they're not talking about gas stations and getting more blender pumps installed. They're literally going back to the source at the manufacturing plants? I think it's a little bit of both, actually. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I know that uh, USDA has been instrumental in helping bankroll some of those blender pumps that allow folks to, you know, folks, I mean, independent retailers, uh, gas stations and so forth, to pump E15, E30, E whatever they feel like, all the way up to E85, because the thing just meters it out on its own. It's a very slick deal, but apparently those pumps are very, very expensive. Well, yeah, and not only that, but I mean, if if your car salesman is encouraging you not to buy a car that's fuel efficient or flex fuel, if those folks aren't encouraging it, there's really not a lot of incentive, I would think, from a consumer standpoint to buy a car that has those capabilities. Right. Yeah, that's a great point, Delaney. I mean, a lot of this comes back to at the end of the day, what are the uh, what is the car salesman prom- or saleswoman promoting when they're out there getting these vehicles moved? Exactly. Well, you know, we talk about those pumps being expensive, Delaney, but you know what else is expensive in China? What's that? Pork. We've mm. talked about this a lot, but Reuters just has a fascinating story about what it's like as a Chinese person trying to get a hold of pork ahead of the Lunar New Year, which is coming up on the 20th. 25th? Okay. I've seen signs for it. Uh, 24th. 24th. January 24th, according to Reuters, so we're going to blame them if that's wrong. <laughs> but um, basically, they, they talked to a hog farmer, and uh, she lost their entire herd to African swine fever, so they lost out on their own cured pork and dried sausage. And they, uh, she's, they've got this woman as a kid, you know, they raise hogs, and the son said, I want to eat sausage for the Lunar New Year's. And so she said, well, I'm going to try to look around and try to find some. Um, basically... It is a catastrophe, according to official statistics. Now, these are Chinese statistics, so take them with a grain of salt. They said pork production fell 21% last year. Um, and that, I, I, I'm not sure how they're making this uh, fit with the other fact that they reported, which was that the hog herd shrank more than 40% by October. Uh, pork prices have tripled from a year ago. Food inflation is at an eight-year high. And uh, basically, she, let's see, they tell us how much? No, it just says she bought a small amount of pork that cost her $43.67. Wow. Holy cow. That is a lot of dollars for pork. So far to date, China has released 200,000 tons of frozen pork since December, so just in the past, uh, you know, 30 days. And they are import they have imported, I should say, a record 375,000 tons of pork delaney just in the last month. Yeah, I believe it. I I think that we are seeing that really solidified whether or not they're releasing their true facts or not as part of this phase one trade agreement most of our agricultural commodities will see this agreement go into effect in 30 days but pork they've changed that part of the agreement to make the pork side of things operational in 10 days so definitely they need the pork they do. You know, and that's one of those things, of course, today we also had the export sales report put out by USDA. And since we're talking pork, I figured I'd take a look right now at what pork sales were for this past week, looking at 2020. Uh, so, of course, the upcoming marketing year for hogs. For the week ending January 9th, the U.S. sold 38,700 metric tons of pork. The primary buyers, this kind of surprised me, Mexico and Japan, they're always large buyers of pork. China, way down on the end of the list Mm -hmm. for purchases that week, Um, they bought 1,900 metric tons. But 
So those are purchases that are expected to go into place in 2020. Exports are also measured by the USDA, and these are things that got put on a boat or a train or a truck and shipped elsewhere. China was the largest exporter or importer, I should say, of physical pork last month. We sold 41,500 metric tons. Of that, 16,000 metric tons went to China. And then there's South Korea, Mexico. You know, the usual uh, list of players are in there. Um, but you know, maybe we'll see, uh, see China continue to grow in that sphere. I, I know a lot of folks in ag are hoping for that. Yeah, and I, I guess the um, export sales or the assumed sales doesn't surprise me because maybe China was just waiting until this phase one deal was kind of signed and dotted before they really committed to larger purchases ahead of their new year here. Yes. And, you know, one of the things we do know about China, we talked about it yesterday on the podcast, um, they are going to buy at the market. So when it makes sense for them to do Mm -hmm. so, and I just pulled up a chart here looking back to that week, uh, that was the week after hog prices peak. So they, you're probably right, Melinda, they said, whoa, things got a little too expensive. We're going to sit back, see what this market does, see what happens if we get this trade deal signed. And, of course, we've discussed this a lot on the podcast. We just need more ractopamine-free pork that China can import unless and until, or until and unless, they do change their ractopamine uh, restrictions. Okay. Well, to transition things back to domestic news here, Mike, we are seeing food stamps and the SNAP requirements kind of hit the pipeline again. We've seen a group of 14 pretty much all Democratic-led states including D.C. and and uh, New York, on Thursday joined together to sue the Agricultural Department, USDA, over their regulations on imposing stricter work requirements on millions of food stamp recipients. Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats have threatened that this was going to take place, and so now we've actually seen that lawsuit filed and challenging the USDA, but it basically... Challenges last year's rule, which targeted able-bodied adults without dependents participating in the program. Okay. You know, so that was Thursday. The suit was officially filed? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's it's interesting to me that, you know, we've got the USDA doing two very different things. And depending on where you sit politically uh, probably shapes a lot in how you look at this. So we've got the USDA trying to cut uh, food stamp expenditures, try to save some money. And, of course, that case, you know, filed yesterday on Thursday. Also on Thursday, USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue came out and said he did expect – Excuse me. He expected U.S. farmers to receive the third tranche of MFP payments. Um, no, no indication as to when, but uh, he did say, you know, we're gonna, we promised it, we're gonna follow through, we're gonna get these uh, payments done. But he also came out and said there will be no MFP in 2020. So, don't bank the farm on getting an MFP payment. Although Delaney, as you and I have talked about before. If things don't turn around, it's an election year. I got to imagine they'll find a way to slip a little money under the table to an important part of Trump's constituency. Yeah, I would suspect you are correct there, Mike. Yeah. So what other news are you watching today, Delaney? 
Well, I've been watching a little bit of the negotiations going on this week between the U.S. and the European Union because we saw their top trade commissioner, Phil Hogan, in the U.S. earlier this week, again discussing whether or not agriculture would be included as part of some sort of initial trade deal here. And it doesn't sound like the EU is making any concessions on that stance. However, they did share with reporters, Phil Hogan, their trade commissioner there, did share with reporters that they've been exploring other options to see how we can break this impasse and look at potentially some smaller pieces first, as opposed to a big general ag trade negotiation or a trade pact, maybe looking at some smaller pieces here first, dealing with sanitary or phytosanitary issues, and then moving forward to unlock more potential for U.S. farmers and European companies to do business together. So it did sound like he, it sounds like maybe there's a little bit of progress coming there at least. Yeah, and so, I mean, it sounds like we've got a lot for this to shake out, of course, so I don't want to be counting chickens before they hatch, but it sounds like this EU deal might end up looking a lot like the Chinese deal, Delaney, where we get a phase one, a phase two, and this thing just works itself out over time, and I'm guessing a lot of the Europeans, like the Chinese, are waiting to see what happens in November before they uh, they commit to any sort of, you know, wide-ranging trade agreement. Yeah, and you know, I mean, President Trump has always said he's a bilateral trade guy. He thinks we should do business one-on-one with a country. But the other day, talking with Dr. Flinchbaugh and Congressman Stenholm, their point was there are like 170-plus countries in the world. Are we going to enact a bilateral trade deal with all 174 countries or whatever there there are? So, you know... From that standpoint, it's like, okay, that makes sense. Why did we pull out of TPP when we were going to be guaranteed, you know, 12, 13 other trading partners? Yeah. And, you know, I think that was when President Trump pulled out of TPP, a lot of the uh, agriculture, the farm groups, the the active, uh, I don't want to say activist groups, but the farm, what do you call them, interest organizations, I suppose, they support it for that very reason. This was kind of a one-stop shop. We get a level playing field everywhere, or at least, you know, with those 13, 14 countries. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's a wild card. We are in uncharted areas when it comes mm-hmm. to trade, Delaney. Absolutely. And that has been true since uh, President Trump was elected. And uh, we did have a comment from uh, the International Monetary Fund. Kristalina Georgieva said, earlier today that the signing of this phase one uh, agreement between the U.S. and Canada, excuse me, U.S. and China, sorry, Canadian listeners, reduces uncertainty that has been dampening global economic growth. So this is one of those things where we didn't get a lot of certainty out of the agreement. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. We, But we did remove some of the risk that this thing might not happen at all. And that is a win. That is something that allows uh, – investors to place their money a little bit more confidently. It allows folks to feel a little bit uh, better about the overall state of the world. And that is something the IMF watches very closely. So now we'll just wait and see if this actually has monetary returns um, in the uh, in the short term. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Canada and USMCA and all of that, it sounds like Canada will be returning. I didn't realize this, Mike. They take like a seven-week recess after or around the holidays. So they should be finally coming back from that recess here shortly if they do sign off on it and it's expected that they should it's still going to take about 90 days to implement that and so folks are hoping we really see that come to fruition here finally early summertime 
All right. Getting things coming to fruition. That is always fun. Mm-hmm. And you know what's fun actually today, Mike, has been watching these commodity markets. Yes, it has been, Delaney. That's something we've been talking about here in the office all day long. It was a roller coaster. This whole week has been a roller coaster, frankly. But today was a fitting end for our producers. Folks, we've got green on the screen in the grains. We've got green on the screen in cattle and hogs. We've got green on the screen when you look at the dairy market. So, Delaney, what do you say? Should we get this good news out into the public? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks. As I mentioned, corn had a very exciting day today. In fact, we recovered all of yesterday's losses and then some. The March contract finished up 13 and three quarters cents, the biggest move to the upside in I don't even know how long. Uh, Closed the day at 389 and a quarter. May up 12 and three quarters to finish at 395 and a quarter. In soybeans, the March was up four and a half cents at 928 and a half. May up four and three quarters. Closed at 442, excuse me, 942 even. In Chicago, wheat, March up five and a quarter cents at 570 and a half may five and a quarter close the day at 571 and a half looking over at livestock the cattle complex was up february live cattle up 22 and a half cents at 126.35 april up 82 and a half to finish at 127.25 in feeder cattle the march climbed 17 and a half cents to close at 145 even april up seven and a half cents, still a move to the positive. Closed the day at 147.8750. Over in lean hogs, February was up 80 cents at 67.6750. April up 32 and a half to finish the day at 74.10. Not to be left out is the dairy market. January class three milk up two cents at 17.01. February up. 15 finished the week at 17:45. Without further ado, we're going to kick it over to our friend Mr. Chad Colby, who had the chance to travel to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas not too long ago, and there were some surprising things relevant to agriculture. Well, folks, it is a Friday here on the Ag News Daily podcast, and we are joined by Agriculture's Tech Guru. He is Mr. Chad Colby. You know him on Twitter as the Chad Colby, and we're excited to have a chance to talk to him. Chad, just what a week or two ago, you were out in Las Vegas working, covering the CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, from the perspective of agriculture. First of all, had you been out to this show before? Yeah, I've been out. I think this is my fourth one. I've spoke at it a couple times, and then. The last couple of years, it's just it's really hard to if you're in the technology to, to not go to that show. It's just so over the top. That's the way it looks. Now, for our listeners who are maybe unfamiliar with it, I don't think it gets a lot of shout outs in ag. What is it? What what all goes on? at these? So to so, Mike, to compare it to like the Farm Progress show. OK, the Farm Progress show is on 60 acres plus or minus. This is on about three million square feet there so you're talking what is that a short 80 acres 70 some acres um and then you've got four thousand vendors or four it's i know it's over four thousand vendors which is a huge number you're talking there's about 225 ish thousand people that attend about a 30 percent of those people are from abroad from out of the united states and when it comes to technology it is the largest show in the world and of those 40, over 4,000 vendors, the crazy part of that is about 20% of them don't make it as a company. 
So it is the newest, latest, greatest technology. And whether that's, you know, virtual reality or anything to do with automa, uh, you know, uh, automation and robotics, you name it, the craziest, wildest stuff. It's there. Now, obviously, it's the consumer show, so it has to, has a lot to do with consumer-related products. But there is a lot of attention given to the automobile sector. We know all the crazy things that are happening there. And certainly, the big news in agriculture the last two years now is John Deere's had a booth there, a way that they can connect technology that they do in agriculture to consumers. And let me tell you, it is an amazing booth, and it is packed full of people as soon as the show opens to as soon as it ends every day. Now, that's incredible to me. When I think of John Deere, I don't necessarily think of them as needing to reach out to the average consumer. So what kind of things do they have on display? What are they trying? What stories, I guess, are they trying to tell? Yeah, Mike. So last year they had a combine in the booth, and they were talking about how the data is collected about each each acre, each plant, if you would. And even last year at the show when I was there, I literally stood there with some folks from John Deere I know and just watch consumer after consumer. And we're talking about, you know, people have to pay real money to go to this show. And I, I want to say the entry ticket's $300, okay, plus hotels and stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of people wearing sport coats and a lot of business guys there. And people walk up to a combine last year and went, what is that machine? And had no idea. This huh. year they had a sprayer in the booth with 120-foot sticks on it one of their latest new sprayers, and it had the sea and spray technology on it. And they were talking about how they have technology that can see the weed, spray the individual weed, all that kind of stuff. And seriously, I stood there, and they, they had a couple things that I thought were, were actually really neat. On the left and right of the sprayer, and you can go online and find some of this information, they had like a, a really big table or like a countertop. And on it, they simulated with toy tractors, believe it or not, working the ground, planting the crop, spraying it, harvesting it, and they could have the conversation about data. And that's what they were doing in those spots. And I literally stood there, and a fellow from Los Angeles, there were two of them there, and it was CEO of some company on his tag, which I didn't recognize. I'm sure it's a small company. Seriously, Mike looked me straight in the eyes, and he said, I've just never seen a tractor like that before. Huh. To a full-size sprayer. And I said, well, sir. That's that's not really a tractor. And he says, oh, are you in agriculture? And I said, yep. And he goes, well, well, what is this? And I said, well, sir, you're a pretty knowledgeable guy. And the other guy he was with, he's like, well, what is this long thing out here? And it's the spray boom. And I said, well, let's talk about it. And he's like, well, there's some hoses there. I'm like, oh, we're getting somewhere. And there was there was pictures of crops being sprayed. If you watched it, you could see it. And he said, oh, wait, there's a tank. This thing sprays. And I said, yes, it does. Atta and a boy, you got and, it. Get yourself and, a sticker. Yeah, well, that's that's right. Let me give you a, a John Deere hat, right? And I think it's – I just think it's important to understand that a lot of the technology that might be a step or two away from agriculture and whether that's data analytics or automation or battery or whatever it might be, you know, agriculture is consuming technology now in a really rapid pace. So, yes, maybe your little startup company or your little tech product, you know, is looking for a home. Well, believe me, there's a lot of companies that pay close attention to agriculture. And, and Deere's done a nice job at this show, Mike. And it's really impressive to just to see the kind of reach it's get there. And, you know, the CEO of Deere was there. I mean, they had leadership there. It was it was pretty neat to see it. 
that is really cool, Chad. From the, the farmer's perspective, was Deer unveiling anything that, that our listeners need to be aware of, or was this no, mainly it, to talk to consumers? Okay. Yeah, they, they had their latest stuff there, so the folks from Blue River Technology are there, and, and I, I think most people in ag understand that. That's a company Deer acquired years ago that does see and spray technology, and it's coming. I mean, where we're going to have our sprayers that can see the weed and and then turn the nozzle on real quick and spray that knee, that weed. So it was, you know, it was it was really good. And and you know, hats off to John Deere. I, you know, um, Dusan, who owned Bobcat, they had a big display right next to John Deere. And believe it, Mike, they had a skid loader in there that had like a HUD, like the information that goes on your windshield. They had like a drop down screen. And they were showing how you could send data to that skid loader operator direct. And that means maybe it's cut lines if you're doing shapes and maybe it's camera systems or whatever it is. So it was kind of nice to see a little bit more of that flair. There, there's a lot more conversation, if you would, about how technology is used in a lot of industries. And certainly, you know, for those of us in the Midwest, we're, we know how important agriculture is. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that uh, you mentioned on This Week in Agribusiness was that one of the things in that bobcat that can show up on that screen is a rear view camera. Chad, why did it take so long to put that in a bobcat or in any skid deer? Isn't that the truth? I mean, you know, they've had them the last several years. A lot of those machines have them, but the screens aren't in your line of sight, right? They're Mm -hmm. they're on a little camera screen kind of somewhere out of the way. This thing drops straight down and it puts the camera image right where your eyes are. I mean, it, it is, it's pretty cool technology. And of course, Doosan also makes a lot of big construction equipment. They had a huge video there showing a rock quarry working complete autonomously. We're talking yeah. about a, a, a big excavator loading a truck and the truck driving by itself. I mean, it was crazy and you could watch it there in real time. It was pretty cool. It's incredible. You know, one of the things that we've had nag that is semi-autonomous, at least, is drones. Chad, you've been involved in the drone industry for, what, 10, 12 years now? Yeah, since it, you know, I'm one of those weird guys. I've been around since the inception. It was kind of fun at CES because here in the United States, DJI has the major footprint. They've got upwards of 75, 80 percent of the market. And it was kind of nice to go see those folks. And I know a lot of their 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 team. And, you know, one of the challenges that we're facing in in, in on the ag space and it's getting better, but and that is understanding how you implement drones in our national airspace in regards to the FAA. And the, the FAA has got a new uh, a new initiative, if you want to call that right now, and that is remote ID that they're working on. And basically, right now, if you if you use drones commercially in the United States, you have to have a, a drone license, which we've talked about that before. That's nothing new; been around for almost a couple of years now. But if you're in drones and you're listening to this broadcast, you need to find, crank up your computer, go out to Google and type in remote ID, and you'll go find where it is on the FAA's website and learn more about it because this is in the comment period now between March 2nd. And remote ID is going to be a bump in the road. It's, it's certainly something I believe we need in the industry, but the way the FAA is going about it right now, it's it, it, it's pretty obtrusive right now. I mean, it's 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 going to put a bump in the road for sure. Yeah, it will certainly. Like I say, it'll be an adjustment period for anybody using drones. Uh, that's for sure. Right. Um, Chad, I wanted to pick your brain before we let you go. There was a vehicle 
that you showed <laughs> that I had not heard of until yeah. you were Of course, a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with Tesla, the electronic car company, the battery-driven car company, and they unveiled, what, late last year, the Cybertruck. That's not the only pickup, battery-powered electric pickup, coming to market soon, is it? Yeah, that's right. So I live near Bloomington, Illinois. In fact, I'm, I'm, on, I'm in Bloomington right now as we make this call. And there's a Mitsubishi car factory here, and it closed a few years ago. And Rivion is a another electric car startup, if you would. But they're funded by companies like Amazon, if you ever heard of them, or maybe the Ford Motor Company. So they're pretty well healed up as far as product goes. Well, they're they're releasing two vehicles. You can actually put down payments on them now, a sport utility and a pickup truck. And the first time I saw the truck was at the CES show last week. And it's a neat-looking vehicle. And by the way, their leadership told me last week that they're going to start producing them here by the end of the year, by the end of 2020, for delivery. And wow. uh, it's a neat, it's a neat concept when you look at the vehicle. Um, and certainly, if you don't know much about electrification and the things that are happening there, and whether your vehicle's got a a gas or diesel-powered engine with electric drive or it's battery-powered like this truck. Need to understand those vehicles are are completely different. Mike, have you been in a Tesla or battery powered vehicle yet? Yourself? I've been in a Tesla. I think it was a Model S. Yeah. The thing is, if you haven't been in one and understand how the torque works, they make 100% of their torque all the time. So in the ag industry, it's coming. I mean, John Deere one at Agritechnica, their new electric drivetrain, and guess what? It's based on an eight R tractor. Now, it's still huh. going to have a diesel engine, but it's going to have electric drive, and you eliminate all the parts, and it's so much more efficient. It's coming in a big way, and it's going to get past vehicles really quickly and find its way to trucks, and we know Tesla's got a semi. Certainly, it's going to find our way to the farms, and I would tell you easily within the next three or four years, we're going to get past electric-powered vehicles, and we're going to start doing other things on the farm that are going to be to help us be more efficient as well. That is so cool. Chad, finally, any parting thoughts, anything that just jumped out at you, connected to ag or just connected to your passion of technology? What was the coolest thing you saw down there at CES? You know, it's hard to discount just simply the vast amount of technology that's coming at us. And I, I think for a lot of us, regardless of what industry you're in, maybe you're a banker listening to this podcast, or certainly we know there's a lot of people that reach and, and listen to the show. It's just hard to consume all the different amounts of technology. They had foldable phones. They had foldable laptops. I mean, lots of crazy technology when it comes to virtual reality, you know, wireless appliances for your house. I'm not sure we, why, why we need those, but that was kind of yeah. cool. Um, you know, laundry systems that'll fold your clothes after you, after you wash them, which, uh, that'd be handy. Holy cow. You, yeah, sign me up for that program, right? Yeah, we'll it's, also put it away. Yeah, they, well, they actually, it does stack them. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, my gosh. All right, I got to yeah. get one of those. Yeah, it's just, you know, I think it's it's just really hard to, you know, to pin it down on one thing. And you walk, and I to be honest with you, I walked eight and a half miles the first day I was there, and I know I did not see half of that show when I was there. There's no way I saw half the show. There's just so much stuff. But, yeah, do a little homework. Go out and if you if you Google CES show, there's lots of different uh, people that, you know, do reviews on all kinds of crazy new stuff that's out there. But, yeah, Mike, it's fun. Technology is crazy. That's for sure. 
That is awesome. Chad, if we've got any listeners who want to get in touch with you, they want to pick your brain about this, what's the easiest place, best place to find Mr. Chad Colby? If you go to, uh, I've got a website called ColbyAgTech.com, just spelled just like it sounds. And there's a place over there called Field Trips over to the right. And whether it's Agritechnica, the Consumer Electronics Show, I usually dump in all the photos that I've taken from those events. And yeah, you can easily find me there. And yeah, happy to share the latest information and technology. <laughs> Fantastic, folks. Chad Colby, Colby Ag Tech. Chad, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Hey, hey you bet. Now, this week, too, if you uh, catch uh, this week in agribusiness on uh, RFD or on, on your local station, we've got a, a segment on the Consumer Electronics Show. we got a segment on the drone, new information from the drones. So lots of great stuff on the show this week, too. Check it out, folks. Well, big thanks to Chad Colby. Love that he was just able to jump on the phone, and he just loves talking tech. Delaney, you can you can hear it when he talks. Yeah, he's definitely very passionate about it, just as we are about podcasting and agriculture. Folks, check us out on globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. Listen to any of our past episodes there. You can also interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agnewsdaily. And give us your thoughts. Let us know how it's looking in your neck of the woods as we continue this uh, Snowmageddon 2020 here. But we hope you all have a very safe weekend. And Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.